Hey there, it's Dr. Heidi. You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic, a podcast geared towards the things you may be misunderstanding about the difficult relationships in your life. I did not understand it when I was in it, but I definitely understand it now, and I want to share that understanding with you so that you too can find the courage you didn't know you had to make the changes you didn't think you could make. Hey, everybody, welcome back. This week, we have somebody that I actually just met her, but it is it is a profession that I've been trying to get on the podcast for a couple of years now. So I love the fact that I was introduced to her. We have um, Tracy Conan, and I hope I said your last name right because I didn't go over it. She is a forensic accountant, and I talk to a lot of my clients about the things to look for and, you know, watch out for certain things, especially when going through the divorce process, because a lot of us, including myself, did not have full access to the financials. Um, I thought I did, but as it turned out, I had very little access. I was also one that just signed the tax return. You know, I wasn't to ask any questions. I just signed the tax return and I trusted in the wrong places. So, Tracy, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Why don't you introduce yourself, because you'll do it better than I did, and give us a little bit about your background and what you do. Heidi, you said my name perfectly. I'm Tracy Conan. I'm a forensic accountant, and I find money for people. So my work involves doing fraud investigations. Some of that is on the corporate side when there is executives stealing money from companies. And some of it's on the personal side when people have personal situations, particularly divorce, where they are trying to figure out where the money went. My role in divorce is going through all of the bank statements and the credit card statements and the tax returns and trying to figure out what exactly happened with the money. Sometimes people have suspicions that were, there was fraud. Sometimes they don't necessarily have the suspicions, but they were in that position where they did not um, actively monitor their money. And this is very typical. This is the way it works in most marriages. One spouse is in control of the money and handles it all because they're probably very good at it or prefer to do it. And so when people say, I'm, I'm embarrassed, I haven't been watching the money, don't be embarrassed. It's what happens in many, many marriages. Yeah, for sure. And and I was even 50%, maybe even 60% money earner. And I had so much other stuff going on because I was in a relationship that was kept me very busy so that my time was all consumed. So I could I only had time to really pay attention to what I had time to pay attention to. Now looking back, I mean, now looking back, it's it's clear as day, but when you're in it, it's it's very confusing. So um, you know, I I do a lot of walking people through the divorce process. My job in that is, it's kind of the same as yours, just in a different category. Um, because if people know what to expect, it is not as hard to deal with when it happens. If people can go, oh, Dr. Heidi said this was going to happen, or uh, I just heard this, Tracy said, but we have to watch out for this. Then it's not such a slap in the face or a big surprise. Um, I also know that there are a lot of people that listen to my podcast that are right now in a probably financial abuse situation where they don't have access to the money or the credit card statements get gone through all the time. Um, so this is going to be helpful for, you know, 
maybe you can also give some tips on the people who are being financially abused because that's one of the reasons people don't leave these relationships and the fear that they're going to be left with nothing. But when we, when we talk about things to look for, like what, when, when you are looking into a divorce process, what are the first things you look for? Or what are the first questions that you ask to draw a client's attention to the fact that something may be a little fishy? When I'm talking to people about their situations, we talk about red flags of fraud. What kinds of things have you seen in your marriage as it relates to the money? Because that's the part that I do. What kinds of things have you seen that suggest that something might not be right? One of the really big ones that we see when someone is heading towards divorce, contemplating divorce or in divorce, we see that there has been a change in behavior with their spouse. Um, you may have been in a marriage with a controlling spouse, someone who was controlling over the money, but oftentimes we see that there is an escalation of that at some point. Or if you're in a marriage where there wasn't control over the money, but at some point we notice there does become a change in that direction where they start to become more controlling over money. That's one of the really big signs that we see. One of the other really big signs is just as you said, not being able to see those statements, not being able to have information about what's been going on with the money. That's really problematic. Being asked to sign tax returns without having the benefit of seeing them, understanding them, or maybe consulting. You know, you might say, I would like to sit down with our accountant and go over the tax returns so I understand what it's all about. And when your spouse isn't allowing you to do that, to me, that's a big warning sign. Um, I just thought of something else. I'm 14 years out of my former relationship and I still have a particular someone using my social security number to apply for credit cards. Oh my gosh, that is so terrible. One of the things I talk about is when you are getting ready to leave your marriage or you're in those early stages of divorce is to run a credit report on yourself right away so that you know exactly what debts are attached to your name. Now running that credit report doesn't stop the shenanigans, but it informs you. So I'm all about being informed about your financial situation. If you haven't been informed up to this point, you're like a lot of other people, but let's start doing things that will get you informed. Get that credit report. Start getting the bank statements for accounts that have your name on them, things like that. Mm -hmm. So so you said the red flags, um, there's a change in behavior. Could that be a change in spending? spending more, spending less, moving stuff, like, like what type of behavior would you say that is? So the behavior to me, there's sort of two categories that I look at. One is that financial piece where it is a change in a spending pattern. It is, uh, they start going to the ATM or the bank and withdrawing money, cash when they never did before, or they start spending outside of the agreements that you have so spouses typically have agreements. We won't spend more than this amount of money without talking about it. And all of a sudden you find that your spouse is spending outside that agreement. Certainly a problem. Also becoming controlling over your spending. That's a change or more controlling. So I work with people who say, my spouse always kept tabs on what I was spending, kept real close tabs. But then all of a sudden they amp it up a notch and they're getting really nitpicky about it. And you can't even go to the grocery store without getting questioned about it and things like that. So there's the change in behavior on the financial side. Then there's a change in behavior just in daily activities, becoming more secretive about where they've been, 
what they've been doing, uh, becoming more controlling over their phone. You may have had the spouse who would come home from work every day, set their phone on the kitchen counter, go about family business for the rest of the day until bedtime, not think another thing of it. Now, all of a sudden they're coming home and that phone doesn't leave their side, even when they go to the bathroom, that's a problem. So, so I, I look at behavior changes on the financial side and then sort of the the how we relate to each other kinds of behaviors that might change. Mm-hmm. The the one of the things that and I learned this kind of going through my relationship because there was there's a lot of infidelity in my former relationship, which was never admitted to, obviously. Um, but going through that, I was I was always the one that was being accused of cheating. Okay. And and you know, the accusations of a toxic person are usually their confessions. But again, I didn't know it then. Right. Now back, I'm like, yep, every every time I was accused of that. Well, um, eventually, guess what? I was starting to be accused of hiding money. And I had been in it long enough at that point to go, okay, now I know what to look for because if he's accusing me of hiding money, I know exactly what he's doing. And I did find a huge amount that had been shifted off into a you know distant account somewhere. So so if other than them being nitpicky. If they're accusing you of stuff, I found that that's, that's a huge sign too. It certainly is. And I found that people in their marriages don't necessarily know if the signs that they're seeing are enough to be worried about or not. I find them kind of falling on one far end of the spectrum or the other. On one end, it's someone talking themselves out of noticing these red signs, red flags and, and talking themselves out of seriousness and saying, oh no, I trust my spouse. It's fine. I'm probably, you know, blowing this all out of proportion. Then there's people at the other end of the spectrum who are seeing some signs that really aren't that big of a deal, but they are blowing them out of proportion and getting suspicious about everything. So what I wanted to do for people is put together an assessment that could take some of those signs, identify them, and objectively give someone some feedback as to whether or not they had anything to worry about when they're identifying some of these red flags. Yeah. Now, you know, a whole other aspect in the realm that I work in, and this was me, um, when I when I did suspect something, and my intuition is very good. Usually, if I, if I suspected it, it's exactly what was going on. However, um, the people who are who find themselves in toxic relationships or emotionally abusive relationships are very apt to avoid conflict. We want to keep the peace. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to fight. We don't want to disappoint them. So, so even when I knew there was stuff going on, I was too afraid of the reaction I would get if I brought it up and tried to confront them. So, so in in my story, I had to let things slide because I was trying to raise kids in that environment and to confront him would have flared things up worse. So I was trained very well to stuff things under the rug, you know? And in the end, just like you said, I had a vehicle in my name that he wasn't making payments on that I didn't know was in my name. And I think I had Arctic Cat snowmobiles somewhere out there, um, credit cards all over in my name, but I always suspected stuff, but I never, I never had the courage to confront him because things would always get worse. And I have to acknowledge that it's easy for me to sit here and say, here are some signs, here are some red flags. And if you notice them, do these things. But I recognize that for many people in those toxic relationships, it's not possible for them to do those things because it will, you know, create that huge blow up, that huge problem. 
if there is abuse, you know, physical abuse, things like that, there are certainly all of those things that people have to be concerned about. So I certainly recognize it's not quite as simple many times as saying, well, go gather financial documents to protect yourself and to get information. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I really encourage people, uh, we never really have a team when we're in a situation like that. It's very confusing. Um, there's, you know, there's all this emotional abuse. So when you try to explain it to people outside of your relationship, they don't get it right. So, so we don't talk about it a lot. So when we file for divorce, we're scared. We go into the attorney's office. We're intimidated. We're worried about everything. Should I do it? Should I not? Because there's all this self-doubt and, and what I try to, to, the perspective I try to give my clients is, okay, you've been in this for 12 or 13 years and you've never really been able to sit down and have a conversation that ended up where you felt like it was um, either solved or there was closure or there was equal on both sides. So let's put a team together to go through this divorce. One member of the team is your family law attorney. And because you may or may not have any control or any knowledge of the financials, a forensic accountant is the second member of your team. Then your therapist or your divorce coach or whatever is the third member of the team. And it's really hard to get people to understand that you have now hired these people to work for you and we have to allow you to fight for us. You know, um, and do you find that going through the divorce process that even though you're there to help, you've got people giving resistance on the things that that you're finding? still making excuses for the toxic personality or, you know, downplaying the fact that it's not that bad. I think by the time I get involved in the case, because forensic accounting is such a big financial investment and the case really has to be amped up to a certain point by the time I'm in, I think people are pretty open to uh, what I'm finding and not making the excuses. I think I make a pretty good case for I'm, I'm the objective lens that we're looking through here. And I've seen this a million times. And so if I think it stinks, probably should be pretty, pretty confident that, um, that I know what I'm talking about, but of course there's always gray area. And there are some transactions maybe that I'll find that my client says, oh gosh, I'm not sure about those. Well, then we dig in further and try to find more information and try to sort it out one way or another to see if these transactions are someone you know, the result of someone hiding money or, you know, siphoning money off the family and to someone else. And I think, I think you hold, you hold like, it's kind of like a magic wand because again, I didn't know. I mean, again, I did every, every single thing wrong when I left, but I, I have worked with um, locally, I have worked with a forensic accountant and you guys can literally find anything. And you can, you can look back in records and track that this whole process began three years ago, just from that. And I think the thing that people really need to know is that, that you know the system and you can trust it and they aren't going to be responsible for bringing this up to them. It'll be, it'll be through the divorce process with the protection of the team you put together. Right. It's my report. I'm the outside person. I'm the objective eyes. And I always say that the numbers don't lie. I have no interest in lying for one of my clients or for protecting their spouse. I, you know, I just, the numbers are what they are and I'm going to report them accordingly. Um, I know that I have a ton of clients like this and this is where I was. I basically left everything. And some of my listeners know that my clients know that I don't talk about it very much um, on this particular podcast, but 
I felt like I did not have an option. I felt like it was either me stay where I was or give everything away and start over, which is, which is what I did. Um, but it's been so refreshing for me to be able to work with people like you and with the divorce attorneys and learn, start learning to understand the system. Do you ever have people that you find stuff and they back down because of the fear from their spouse? Not usually. And again, it's because by the time I'm involved, they are really interested in pursuing this, in getting what they're entitled to in this divorce. I'm always an advocate that people not walk away too early. You know, I, I don't, I also don't believe that we should fight into infinity and divorce either, right? There is a time to settle and to, and you might be giving up some of the money, but first I want us to get the information that we need. Let's just understand what happened. And if you understand what happened and we find uh, that your husband hid $80,000 that you never knew about, once you know what that number is, you can make an informed decision, whether it's worth it to you to fight over your half of that or not. But let's not make that decision to walk away until we know what the numbers are and we know what the facts are. Yeah. And informed. And of course, like you said, by the time you get involved, there people's eyes are probably open. If I would have had somebody like you, I think, I think things would have gone a lot different for me. Uh, I just knew I couldn't fight one more day. And I knew if I went through something like that with him, it would be years and I couldn't, I knew, you know, I knew I couldn't do that. And I, I support people in the fact that they feel like that, but I don't let anybody do what I did anymore. Um, tell us about the assessment that you were talking about. It's the red flag assessment. And it is 15 questions that anyone can take the quiz and it walks them through uh, some questions about how the finances are handled in their family. And then asks them, have you observed these kinds of things in your marriage and with the finances? So maybe things like you discovered a bank account you never knew about, or you found out that your spouse was having an affair, or your spouse uh, was being overly controlling about what you spent. All sorts of things like that, where I just kind of have you tick off some things that you might have seen. And when you get through the 15 questions, you get a result back that gives you um, uh, my objective assessment of how likely it is that there is financial fraud in your marriage. And when I say financial fraud, I mean either money being hidden from you and siphoned off or money being spent inappropriately uh, that you wouldn't have wanted to be spent that way. So let's just say somebody takes your assessment. Um, what is the next step then? If they take the assessment and yes, um, your objective view comes back that you think there's something going on here. What is the next step that somebody would take to find out more? Their choices at that point are, first of all, is it something that they want to know more about and want to pursue? There will be people who take the assessment who will find out that they're at very high risk for fraud, but they will maybe like you say, I can't, I can't deal with the issue. I don't want to pursue it. And then they're done. If they do want to pursue it, as far as I'm concerned, um, they have a, a couple of choices. One would be to hire a forensic accountant, which as we've talked about is, is an expensive undertaking. And I recognize that probably 95% of people who are going through the process of divorce uh, can't afford it or, or don't care to spend that kind of money. For those who don't want to go the forensic accountant route, I have put together the divorce money guide, which is a do-it-yourself uh, forensic accounting thing where um, it's an online handbook 
where it walks them through with videos and PDFs, written materials, checklists, worksheets, and shows them how to go about looking into their finances on their own to understand how their money was spent and see what they can uncover in terms of potential fraud. That That's exciting because a lot of people don't even know where to start. Well, and there was nothing on the market like it. So when I came up with the concept, I was, I was being bothered because there were people who needed help in their divorces on the finance piece, but who weren't in a position to hire a forensic accountant. And I said, why isn't there something out there to help these people, to give them guidance and show them what to gather, what to look for, what this financial part of the divorce is going to look like. So I said, fine, I'll just go ahead and create that product. And you know what the, the other thing that this does is, is, you know, People come out of those or people that are in them, very low self-esteem, their self-worth is down, their identity is lost. So them even doing research and learning that is very empowering. It's going to be very empowering for people to, to just have a guide to know where to begin. I always say knowledge is power. And that was sort of one of the bedrocks when I was putting this guide together is I wanted to give people the tools that if they wanted to learn more, I could show them even people who aren't good with numbers, I can show them what to gather, what to look for once they have it. What, what about, um, and I'm sure that you do this also, but you know, you have the, you have the spouse that has never handled the money, you know, when they, at the end of the divorce process, what are your recommendations as far as, okay, now we need to learn to budget. We need to learn how, where to put it, you know, where to invest it, where to, do you do stuff like that as well? On the consulting side, I really don't. Once the divorce is finished, my role is over there, but you raise an excellent question that came up in the process of people purchasing the divorce money guide and working with me in it. They said, what do I do once the divorce is done? So I created the post-divorce money guide to help them navigate those issues, to show them, you know, I've got a list of, gosh, I think 30 different things that you have to think about doing once your divorce is final in regards to your insurance and your bank accounts and your, your debts and doing the budget. Like you said, very important to know exactly where you stand financially going forward. So I put together another resource to address exactly what you just asked about. Perfect. Perfect. And you guys, I did not even know she had that. So that question was not staged. Um, I know it felt like you were inviting me to do a commercial for another product, but, but this was all the idea of the money guides all came about so organically. I really started with the divorce money guide concept from a desire to help people. Mm -hmm. And as I was putting it together, issues were coming up and I was saying, oh gosh, there are other people who need help. Mm -hmm. I started thinking, what if I could put together a guide that could help people before they got married? What if I could help them plan their finances with their future spouse? Mm -hmm. So there are so many ideas in this realm. I know just not enough time, right? Exactly. So, so where do, where do people find you? Because this, this is going to lead to a lot of, a lot of questions. So where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? They can find me on Instagram. My handle there is divorce money guide, or they can go to divorcemoneyguide.com. Perfect. Perfect. It's so and simple. It is. It is so simple. What, what is one thing, if there's one thing you could tell the listeners, knowing that the, my listener base comes from mostly emotionally abusive, very controlling relationships. What is, what is one thing that they could start today without becoming overwhelmed with? 
I think just starting to understand a little bit about their finances. And if that means um, logging into your online banking account and seeing how much money you have in your checking account, or if it means going online to one of the websites uh, that offers free credit reports where you could just get your credit report and see what's going on. It's a very little step towards understanding more about your finances. And I think that that's really empowering to just take those small steps. Yes. And if you have any questions, I'm sure people can send questions to you through your media sites, correct? Absolutely. You can send me a direct message on Instagram. If you go to the website, there's an email address there that you can reach me through. Absolutely. Perfect. I'm going to have to get on there because I want to see your, I'm, I'm 14 years post-divorce and remarried. Um, but that was a big struggle for me, um, that recovering because I was hand to mouth. Like I really was robbing Peter to pay Paul for a few years, you know, trying to start a new business. And so I never really got how it's actually supposed to look. So I'm, I'm curious to, to look at that post, um, divorce guide. I think the position that you're in is pretty typical. We, we do talk in the post-divorce money guide about the financial challenges, especially women tend to have when they come out of divorce, because, um, statistically women come out of divorce much worse off than men do their standard of living goes down much more. And so I recognize that so many people coming out of divorce are just looking at how do I make ends meet from month to month? And so when we talk about budgeting and we talk about the possibility of going on a vacation someday, that sounds really far out of their reach. So we're always starting with those small steps. Yes. And, um, guy, when I'm, it's, it's like almost making my stomach hurt thinking back how I did things because knowing, knowing what I know now, my life could have looked a lot different the last 12 years. I'm not complaining. I have the best hottest husband, as far as I'm concerned on the planet right now. Um, so I'm not complaining. I'm very satisfied with my life, but it it's defeating to me to know how I handled it could have been handled so much different, but I guess that's why that's, I guess that's why I do this job. So that exactly don't have to go through that, but thank you so much for being here. I'm probably going to have to get a hold of you because I've got other things I'm, I'm going to want to ask you. Maybe we'll have you back on here again. That would be awesome. It, the time went so fast. And I always say that is uh, the sign of a really good podcast host is one who makes me lose track of time. Well, I tend to talk. I don't have to have a guest to lose track of time. I can sit in my office and talk to myself and lose track of time. But that's but anyway, awesome. Th thank you so much. And I'm sure that you will get some people that reach out to you as well as myself, because there's a lot of times I have questions for specific client situations that I have that I don't know the answers to. So I appreciate you being here and we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Hey, I'm Rachel. I found Dr. Heidi's podcast when I needed it most as I was leaving an emotionally abusive marriage. Dr. Heidi validated my experience, made me feel less alone, and helped me start the healing that I could not have done alone. Dr. Heidi is now offering an exclusive members-only podcast where you can submit your questions, listen to others going through similar struggles, and hear Dr. Heidi's never-before-shared personal story. To learn more, go to www.itsnotnormalitstoxic.com. Join her members-only podcast. It's only $15 a month to get two bonus episodes every week, plus the chance to ask your questions to Dr. Heidi. Go to www.itsnotnormalitstoxic.com.